What's up, Chris? <laughs> How's the quality, though? Yeah. Trying to do like a 1080 key stream out of this wireless while everybody's probably updating their iOS devices. <laughs> so, so who knows how well that's going to work out. Um, all right, we good? Get ready? Yeah. All right, cool. Welcome, everybody. So this is the Think Distributed live podcast. This thing's on the internet. We're going to take questions on IRC. I should have tweeted something. Hector will make sure that that happens or John Daly will, wherever he went over there. Um, so welcome. So how many of you have seen the podcast before? OK, awesome, cool. So you kind of get the general idea. We're going to just kind of talk about distributed systems issues. And we're mainly going to use this time, so we have about 50 minutes to kind of do like a Q&A. So we got an expert panel of thought leaders here, <laughs> uh, distributed systems thought leaders, as one might say. Uh, and uh, we'll go through and do introductions, and then we'll kind of open it up. But we want to keep the general theme on, like, Introductory distributed system stuff. We don't want to go like too heavy into one topic. So any questions about like what you might want to know about things you don't know where to get started with and uh, various things around that, uh, the various issues around distributed systems. Okay. Um, cool. All right. So let's uh, have everybody introduce themselves. So Reed, go for it. Uh, I'm Reed Draper. I'm an engineer at Basho. I mostly work on React CS, uh, and I sort of got into distributed systems sort of through the typical startup way of like having a bunch of infrastructure and not enough experience to kind of handle it and learning firsthand how hard some of those problems are and instead of being scared off by it, like I realized that's what I wanted to, you know, kind of do more full time. Um, and then I ended up at Basho where that's the kind of stuff I work on full time. So yeah. So uh, I'm Chris Micklejohn. I'm the host of the podcast. I also work at Basho Technologies. Um, I got involved just because I worked for a startup that ran React, and I suddenly became way more interested in React than I did the startup. So, <laughs> so that's the natural progression that led there. And uh, I'm also a grad student at Brown, where I do some distributed systems-related uh, work as well. So, yeah. So the, this panel is probably going to look a bit, a little bit monochromatic. Um, I also work at Basho Technologies. <laughs> um, and, but uh, before I started at Basho, I was doing a lot of web apps, uh, you know, the typical Rails consulting thing. And I started to get to the point where I was developing apps that were too big to be handled by the single server, single database type of thing. Um, and I started getting interested in NoSQL stuff, went to some events, and that's how I started getting interested in distributed systems and ended up at, at Basho. Um, and I've been there for three years now, so working on React. 
My name is Kyle Kingsbury. Uh, I'm an engineer at Factual, and in my free time, I, I break databases. Uh, <laughs> that, that's basically all I've been doing for the last ten years, really. So, yeah, <laughs> as part of my real job, too, <laughs> accidentally. Cool. So maybe we'll just kind of lead off and just start with some questions and see and see kind of where the topics go. So I guess the best way to do this is just have people raise their hand and we'll call them out and then kind of address them one by one. Okay. So. Yes. Just remember to repeat the question. The, the question is which database is the most broken one, and I think that's the best question for Kyle. <laughs> Would you say all of them? <laughs> Every database is broken in different ways, right? Like we and we can't prove any of them to be correct by experiment. We can only prove that they're incorrect. So it depends on what you want to do with it, really. I'm going to be very tactful. <laughs> yeah. Go see us talk tomorrow. Um, yeah. So let's. does anybody have any questions about how to get into distributed systems, or, or what a good starting point for that is? Yes? Why don't we start with what is distributed systems? OK. Sean? OK. I will gladly take that question. A distributed system is any software, hardware combination that has more than one physical machine communicating with, the, with each other. So if you have one machine, you don't have a distributed system. If you have multiple machines, you have a distributed system. Of course, the, the, the classical jokey definition of a distributed system is um, a system where a machine I have never heard of can cause my computer to fail. <laughs> so if you think about all of the, the things that we do on the internet, um, internet is a distributed system. It has distributed systems that are built on top of it. Um, and we have layers and layers and layers of that. So for a computer you've never heard about that can cause your machine to break, that's a distributed system. Yeah, I would say so. Like, because there's lots of, of subtopics of, of of distributed systems. You could talk about network network engineering. You could talk about um, the, the the software engineering around building reliable protocols. You could talk about you know and any number of things. And those it's a very very broad topic. So yeah. So what do you think is a good resource to basically get started with? Like if I if I was working at a job and I was building a system and maybe I just have like a Rails app with a database and I yeah. want to know more about distributed systems, what do you what do you think is like a good lead in to start exploring? Something I'm not like the first that? person to answer that. I think. I would kind of say we're in a little bit of a like bad situation with resources for getting into it. Like as I was trying to get into distributed systems, there wasn't like you know, the Rails book that you go by or something that was the equivalent of distributed systems that, you know, kind of taught you everything you needed to know. Um, I think that's improving a lot, but I'll, I'll kind of start by saying I think it needs to be improved a lot more. And it's clearly something that's important, like, you know, a bunch of people are interested in it and people are kind of more and more learning that you're running a distributed system whether you like it or not, and yes. you have to deal with the realities of that, or at least eventually you do. Um, a lot of people, you know, don't necessarily think they have to. But. There, there are some some projects, sort of like grassroots things, where people like uh, there isn't there. A, there's a reading group at MIT and Harvard that just like they they collected a bunch of research papers about distributed systems and says we're going to read these and talk about these, sort of like a you know like a book club almost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's uh, there's definitely resources. I guess the point I'm trying to you know bring up is to encourage people who are learning about this kind of, you know, once you get to the point that you feel comfortable, 
try and give back to the community in terms of education and stuff because I think it's it's lacking. Because um, a lot of what you need to do now is like read academic papers, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I enjoy doing that. I do that in my free time. But in order to get a wider range of people interested in distributed systems and kind of lower the barrier to entry, we need something other than academic papers. I want to also add that there's there's sort of two halves to computers in general. There's there's the theoretical side of it. Like Lamport's papers have told us things since the 70s that we still haven't quite internalized, maybe as a culture. Uh, but then the praxis of, of software, like what does the actual system do, and what are the complexities of actually building a consensus algorithm? Um, that, that's this entirely different field, and like reading a theoretical paper will not tell you about how do you actually reason about and control the complexity of, of, of these interacting parts in a distributed system such that it doesn't fall over the instant you run it. Uh, and, and that moves a lot faster because every database and every, every distributed system is, is adding features and changing so rapidly. It's difficult to write a book that you could read and, and that wouldn't be out of date in a year. Yeah. Yeah, certainly a lot of the things that have, that are sort of the subset of distributed systems that I imagine a lot of people are interested in are, like, if you ask what the seminal papers are, they were all written in the 2000s, at least the ones that are kind of popular, like, you know, Big Table and uh, Chubby Lock Service and all those. These are relatively recent things and I mean, as you said like you know some of these Lamport papers are from the 70s but a lot of the things that people are interested in as implementation specific things are super new and the mm -hmm. landscape is changing really quickly. Another question? So, that actually uh, I'd like to ask you guys about um, talking about the fact that there are uh, maybe call them low level details or at least lower level details that are in flux right or maybe there's an accurate research point you know, put it. But when you walk up to a system, or you walk up to a set of requirements, and you're asked to design, um, I imagine that there are things that are fairly invariant, right? Stuff that you're like, well, I knew this 12 years ago, it hasn't changed, nothing of the technology has changed. So what's, what's, what are the things that you carry with you into the design phase that are like, okay, this is almost, I mean, I don't want to trivialize it, but it's almost maybe a checklist or a set of principles yeah. that you hold that are things that maybe aren't like common to the design process of other people. So the the question was about sort of eternal truths that you keep with you when you work on project to project, and um, sure there may be things that might be unique to us. I don't necessarily have one that's unique to me, but something I forgot to mention on the resources for learning is the fallacies of distributed computing, <laughs> which is like a list of 10 or 12 things, mm -hmm. which it seems so simple, and you kind of read through each one of them. If you, like, you, know, you go look it up on Wikipedia, you can see why each one is true. But I can't tell you how many people have not internalized just that simple list of things. And if you think about each of those things as you're designing a system, I think that's actually a really solid start to making sure you've thought through at least like the gross type of things that can go wrong in a system. Um, there are certainly other things as well, but that's a pretty damn good start, I think. A mistake that I see made a lot in, in distributed systems design, when people say, we've got a single node system, and now we're going to expand it to be a multiple node system. And the way they do that is by adding, typically it's, it's like a primary and secondary failover, or like a leader and secondary. Um, and they make the state of the system consistent. So there's only one leader at a time. But there's the operations that are flowing through the system, like the graphic information flow, is not linked to that state handoff correctly. So your primary is promoted, but it doesn't have knowledge about some, some causal information it should have had. 
Um, that kind of disconnect, I think, is what drives a lot of uh, failure modes in distributed systems. Mm -hmm. Especially assumptions about um, you know, static topology of a distributed system or even, even predictable failure modes, I think, is, is a good, good thing to keep in mind. Any other questions? Sure. Sure. Yeah, we can do disaster porn too. We, we could. Yeah. 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 Just um, repeat that question. So, so uh, we were just asked: Are there specific, like, concrete examples of uh, failure modes that that we've just discussed in general? Um, as an example. Uh, MySQL can be, you know, it, it's not designed to be replicated out of the box, right? But some people have, have made expensive software that does replication, and some people have made free software that does replication. And the free software usually does it by log shipping. You know, it, it takes the operations on the MySQL primary and then pushes them over to the secondary and applies them there. Uh, and then if you fail over, you're supposed to, you know, pop up the, the secondary and, and demote the primary. Uh, but the way that people handle that transition can be complicated. Because there's no, like the FLP impossibility result means we can't achieve consensus in the face of unreliable asynchronous networks. So it can be really tricky to figure out, is the old node actually down before we start the new one? So GitHub, as an example, had a network partition where packets got delayed by five minutes. Um, and yeah, five minutes. I mean, this is insane, right? So, so uh, their system is, it uses shoot the other node in the head. So you, you're like, all right, I'm going to make darn sure that before I take over ownership of the primary role, I'm going to kill the other node. So you pull out your gun, you fire, and that bullet takes five minutes to arrive. Meanwhile, the other node also has lost contact with you and says, well, my partner's dead. I might as well do the same thing. So it <laughs> fires its gun. Five minutes later, you know, the network kind of like hiccups, and the bullets arrive, and both nodes you know, crash to the ground in, in, in a pool of um, data. <laughs> right? so, so I mean, that's, that's a particular weird sort of failure mode, right? Like the, the consensus. Um, system was layered on top just to manage the roles, not to manage the data. Uh, and as an additional result, like during the period of isolation, GitHub also had a, a weird sort of failure where the MySQL data, like both nodes thought, thought they were primary or independent, independently thought they were primary at different times. As a consequence of that, the data on the MySQL nodes didn't align with the data stored in Redis uh, because even though each of them were consistent separately, there wasn't a causal link from MySQL primary to primary. Because of that, they exposed some information about private repositories to the wrong users for a short duration of time. And we're talking a really minor failure, right? Like a handful of users for a few minutes, maybe they never even looked at the, at the page. Um, but those sorts of things can get a little worrying if you have very strict requirements around privacy or safety. And I think that's a good example of like a class of problems that we talk about distributed systems called split brain, which is essentially where you, you have one authoritative source that gets some, some event that causes it to be unable to reach other members of the, the party in the distributed system, and that other party decides that it should become the authoritative source. That's a, that's a pretty typical problem that if you're trying to like research about what sorts of things do you have to deal with, that's like something you could dig into and read about. I think that's a good example of the network not being static too. Like in that case, you know, you might imagine that some ops person at 3 a.m. is going to decide to spin up a third MySQL server then because these two were like both shot themselves in the head, so we need a third one. Now we've made this change, adding in a new MySQL server, and we've never tested this before to see what happens. You know, that's a case where uh, 
a human can make that decision, but there are all sorts of other cases where the network topology can change. And if you've not accounted for that being a possibility, either from a new switch being added or a new machine being thrown in a cluster, then you know you're almost for sure going to have a fun time. Yes. Anybody? Sure. So the question was about how does the choice of program language uh, affect writing a distributed system or interacting with one? Yeah, I think that's a little bit of a. In theory, it kind of shouldn't matter from a what you're capable of doing, you know, perspective. There are definitely languages that are going to be easier to deal with concurrency than others, or languages that have a more mature, you know, socket library that's going to deal with things like timeouts and stuff better. Um, so, like, I you know have my own preferences, but I think in some ways it's a little bit orthogonal, at least from a theoretical point of view from distributed systems. It definitely has practical implications, that's for sure. Um, I mean, I have opinions about what I like. You know, uh, We use Erlang at Basho, and I think it works out really well. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely a tie-in with languages that are good at concurrency also tend, uh, you tend to be able to use those same techniques to be able to also use them in a distributed system, because the distributed system is also inherently concurrent as well. So local concurrency is going to be a tool for writing and interacting with your own distributed system as well. But they are different things. I want to expand on that, actually. I, I think there may be three like, sort of big, um, unique problems to distributed systems that, that come up. And one of them is, uh, like you mentioned, concurrency. You're going to be dealing with requests that have to be routed to many different nodes. And because you're talking over a network, the number of requests you can process is much higher than the latency of the network itself. So you want to do a lot of things at once. And that means that your language has to have some notion of threading or concurrency or event loops or whatever. Uh, you also need to handle latency, right? which means the performance is actually really important. Your ability to, you know, to talk to the underlying socket APIs, do zero copy reads or whatever, that, that can make a big impact on performance. Um, and then the third one is, is error handling, right? because your failure modes are so complex that you really need to engineer robustness into the system from the start. So those may not drive your language choice, but they might drive the architecture or the libraries you use, maybe. Yeah. Wait, can you repeat the question? I'm sorry. I, 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 Chris, I think I think the question is: Is there a way to reason about the correctness of the system? Okay. Um, well, so there there are a number of uh, tools that can help you create sort of cor correctness proofs, but how that applies to an actual implementation is not there's not necessarily a congruence there. Like, I mean, you you could talk about TLA plus for like a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, I think it's like that's a fun and cool problem, I think, and is a really important thing, especially in things like writing a consensus implementation, right. where the, the correctness of some certain part of my code that is significantly more complicated than other parts really, really matters. If my consensus algorithm has a bug, I now can no longer make these other guarantees that might 
affect whole other parts of my system. If there's a bug in this one part of the consensus algorithm and I have some data lost, all these guarantees that I've built up on top of that across my mm -hmm. whole architecture might be void for some period of time. Right, and I think there's a whole class of problems where small software errors or you know, or even like you know, a hardware problem that causes your software to crash um, can propagate across a distributed system in a pathological sense. But it's also a, a way to say that if your software is really, okay, I'm gonna step a little bit out of bounds here. But if, it's, if you're really conscientious about local correctness, you can often increase the reliability of the distributed system. That's not to say that if you're perfectly locally correct, your distributed system will be correct, because they're different problems. Um, but, but reducing the number of software bugs that you have in local operation can increase the reliability of, of the distributed system. Yeah. So, so I have a question that we got from the IRC channel. Um, and I'll direct this one towards Sean. <laughs> uh, and it's not from a Vasho employee. Okay. Uh, when That's building a distributed system, what are good ways to write integration type tests to make sure that the system does what it's supposed to do? Yeah, so this is really challenging. Um, we, uh, like for testing, so I'm just gonna have to do this by example. Um, because there's really, I don't know that there's a, a, a general way to do it, um, but we have built a integration testing harness to test React that's specific to React operations um, and that can create differing conditions of the system um, and simulate it on a single machine. Um, and it's not like an exact analog uh, to like actually, you know, running a, a large distributed system and finding out the all the problems that happen while it's while it's actually deployed. Um, but but uh, we we were there are lots of ways that you can simulate those sorts of problems. On the other hand, you can take the the, the other direction and say, you know, I'm just going to deploy my system and have a separate component. And this is what Netflix does, call it with their thing called Chaos Monkey, which is a separate component that all it does is goes and creates faults. And so instead of, instead of doing a sort of a, a ahead of time verification of, of correctness or robustness, you're saying, I'm going to assume that the thing is going to break in weird ways, and I just want something to try to poke at it until you get those, those breakages and so I can discover bugs and then redeploy. Um, and, but that, that really works in a, a sort of uh, uh, you know, rapid development deployment type of scenario. Um, if you're building a, a shipping product like we do, that's that's a little harder. Um, so yeah, we probably don't, don't want to ship the Chaos Monkey with React. No, no. <laughs> Did, uh, Kyle, maybe you could talk just briefly something? about yeah. Jepson, maybe. Uh, yeah. So so I've been working on this thing, Jepson, which uh, can create specific types of faults in a in any distributed cluster. So it's it's not like React specific. It's here's these machines, you run whatever software on them you want, here we can cut off the network in specific patterns, specific times, and then measure uh, whether or not the you know, concurrency or the, um, the consistency guarantees that are claimed are actually held. Uh, and then I, I've, I've done something similar. I've been writing this, this database, and I do something very similar to what React does, which is I spin up a bunch of nodes in the integration tests and, you know, like, kill nodes repeatedly or, or you know nuke them and force active anti-entropy to kill you know a certain other part of the part of the subset and uh, watch it fail over and recover data and verify those things worked even in the presence of arbitrary network failures uh, 
that, that sort of testing is, is being done by a lot of people, actually, like Foundation DB, I believe, is, has a, an extensive cluster with actual hardware that can kill nodes, like both the, the power supplies on the nodes and the network switches that can kill uh, just, you know, programmatically. And they run these tests every night, you know, just thousands and thousands of failures. Yeah, I think that's still applicable, too, if you're not, like, actually develop, uh, developing a database. Like, a good piece of advice uh, that I heard from one of the Yammer guys was, if you've not seen your system break, then you have no idea how it's actually going to break at 3 a.m. Yeah. Like, you should be purposely making your development cluster of whatever software you use break. You should be seeing what happens when the disk fills up and when it runs out of RAM and when you pull the plug on the master, you should see all of these things happen when you're awake and caffeinated and not at 3 a.m. <laughs> because oftentimes the result of why something happened is like some really stupid reason that you could have caught just seeing it once. There's definitely complicated pathological things that are much harder to get, but oftentimes the easiest bugs to trigger are the things that are going to happen at 3 a.m. that you could have easily seen happen if you just tried to break your own system. Um, so I think that's a not often talked about, but super valuable thing for anyone running a distributed system, not just someone who's you know, selling you a database. Any other questions? Yes. Uh, from your perspective in the company that you work for, how do you sell distributed systems to a customer or a boss or a client? Nobody comes to you and says, what I need to be more successful is a distributed system. So, I mean, are you in a position of, uh, could be in a position where you have to bring it up, you have to say, hey, if you're thought about a distributed system, why not, what's that? Uh, or, well, sure, it's going to, you know, it's a bunch of things running under computers, what's the big deal? How do you, how do you, uh, how do you sell the idea that this is worth uh, investing? So I think this is something, uh, so the question was, how do you sell distributed systems to people, especially people who may not already think that a distributed system is what they want. They may have some business goals that's what they want, but they're not connecting that with, I need a distributed database or a distributed message queue. Um, at Basho, I mean, we definitely have people who are in that situation. Uh, you might be surprised at how many people are also kind of cognizant of where they're at and that they're only going to get to the next technical or business step that they want by using something that's mm -hmm. built to be a distributed system from the ground up. Um, but I mean, I think we, the case for why a distributed system is useful is kind of uh, shared amongst a bunch of different use cases for a distributed system. So the reason you might distribute a database is a lot of the same reasons that you distribute DNS and a bunch of other things. You, know, you want fault tolerance. You want the computational and the storage power of more than one machine. You want the CPU power of more than one machine if you're doing a bunch of distributed machine learning. Um, so oftentimes, it's the case that you just can't get what you want to get done without resorting to the power or fault tolerance of using multiple machines. Um, so for the most part, if someone's in that situation, I think that part's a pretty easy sell. It may be unfamiliar, and they may not be used to running a distributed system from an ops point of view. Um, but for the most part, I don't, I don't tend to see that as a, a tough thing to convince people of. I think it also goes back to economics. Um, you know, you can 
there are practical limits on how powerful you can make a single machine, even a single machine with attached devices that are single machines. Um, and that a lot of big companies are realizing that and that they can get uh, a better, um, uh, what's, I hate to use this business term, return on investment for building smaller machines that participate in larger systems rather than building large monolithic machines um, that handle all of their needs. Um, and, and that, you know, it's why cloud is popular. It's why, like, Amazon EC2 and, and all of the things associated with Amazon Web Services are popular is because they have uh, the ability to amortize the cost across, um, you know, a, a larger infrastructure instead of, you know, one monolithic thing that, you know, costs maybe twice as much as it should. Um, and, and then has physical, you know, technical limits to it. So, um, you know, there, there are physical, technical limits to distributed systems, too, and there are systems that, that or there, there are problems that it's bad for. Um, but but for a lot of the problems that businesses are trying to solve, the, the economics work out really well. I want to point out two, two more things. Uh, distributed systems work much better than monolithic systems at giving you geographic locality. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a worldwide user base, it's really good to situate your, your nodes close to your users so they don't have to wait for that speed of light round trip. And it also is really good for... Uh, when you have growth, and it would be really expensive to scale up by buying an entirely new, you know, mega machine. So you can buy the Oracle Exadata rack, and it will solve all your problems better than a React cluster of a thousand nodes can. But every time you need to go like one percent more, you have to buy an entirely new machine, a new support contract, new installation, big like you know changeover operations. So that there's a lot of uh, friction and lost costs to doing that, you know, scale up approach, um, which you can you can amortize by using smaller nodes that can more incrementally fit to your use case. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Yes? So, given something like chaos monkey, it's important not only to be able to cause problems, but to measure the impact. Any recommendations for tools, techniques, actually measuring what's happening in your distributed environment? Serious question. Mm -hmm. Should we repeat the question? Yeah. Uh, so the question was, you know, Chaos Monkey can break your systems, but how do you figure out what actually happened? Um, or find out ahead of time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's easy to break a distributed system, right? Like, you, <laughs> all you have to do is screw with the clocks, screw with the network, screw with the machines, right? You, you corrupt their disk storage, you, you know, turn them off and on, you, you know, slew their NTP source way into the future. Uh, and, and just bad things happen, but figuring out what happened is a little bit like playing uh, like accident investigator, right? You come to the crime scene, and there's like a pair of skid marks where the minivan was like breaking, and then there's a crater, and it took out like half a city block, and you're asking like, what was in the minivan? <laughs> so, so this is this is challenging, and and I've been trying to do the same sort of process with databases I don't understand. Like I can't get into the code, and I can't analyze from the inside where it would be easy. Uh, and all the times I don't even understand what the modules Easier. are. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. But like, if I built a system, I would understand it. So the way I try to understand systems as a third-party person is to uh, log all of the operations that I do, and then figure out from my model what would be a valid end state of those operations. So if my system is serializable, I should be able to take all the operations and all the nodes, uh, you know, put them together in, in some serial order. You know, apply the state transformation, and at the end of the game, like that state should be equal to the state of the distributed system. If it's not, we violated serializability, and and so forth for commutative operations. Right? You could do it in any order; it doesn't matter. Uh, 
So, so if you come up with those bounds and you understand what the model is, you, you can kind of test whether or not it fits the model. It's harder to figure out why it didn't fit. And then I think you really have to reason about the, the uh, distributed processing itself. But also, I would say there's a, there's a lot of tools that have come out to for monitoring. I mean, like monitoring is a big. I mean, it was always a big deal. But it's like it feels like especially bigger deal in the operations community um, since the advent of of you know virtualized infrastructures, um, because you can build infrastructures out of nothing and then tear them down really quickly. Um, and to understand what happened there, you have to have measurement. You have to have reporting. Um, and that's that's a that's a really big deal, and it can help. It's it's not like the answer, but it can help you know collect the the clues that you'll put together in the forensic lab. Um, so you know there, there's well you you have an awesome like monitoring tool Remon um, that does event processing and stuff. And so there's like you know there's a proliferation of these things just to solve those sorts of problems or at least help address them. To, to clarify, I was I was talking about uh, what do you do to analyze a particular failure mode okay. and figure out what's happening inside the system, but but you can't do that in production. Sean's like right, you have to you have to use a monitoring system, which is looking more at aggregate things like latency or you know uh, consistency failures. You know some of these things are probabilistic, and you can get nice bounds and, and measurements to show you how close your cluster is to being unhealthy. Um, and and being in front of those is really important too. Like you want to know that once my latencies start rising to like 10 milliseconds, there's an inflection point, and if you get higher than that, it'll start to take off and your system will crash. Yeah. So actually a cool thing you can do too, uh, this is again not something you can do in production, but related to the advice before, like when you go purposely break your system, you should go look at your monitoring tools and see if you would have caught it ahead of time and see, all right, if this were to happen, I only had my monitoring tools, would I have seen this coming? Is there something that this failure mode has shown now that I should be monitoring that I wasn't before? Am I not measuring you know, disk utilization on every machine? And it turns out that uh, a machine doesn't fail gracefully and go into read-only mode when its disk gets filled up. It just stops working completely. Um, so thinking about what things you should be monitoring by breaking your own system, I think, is a useful thing mm -hmm. uh, to, to do. So I'll address a question uh, that, that we've had come up a couple times on the previous podcast that I'll address to you guys. And, and that's this idea of there, there aren't a lot of really good resources for learning about particular topics. And a common thing that we hear is people will go find some paper that they find interesting about some topic. And then they'll, you know, they'll come up with, word, like Kyle just mentioned, they'll come to a word like serializability. And they'll be like, what does this mean? So I think that's not an uncommon question, right? Um, so I, I'm going to address like a general question and say, when you come, when you find these terms and you don't know what they mean, uh, and you're trying to understand them better without going through like the references section and reading every possible backlog of papers, uh, yeah. <laughs> outside of that, do you have any general recommendations about how you go about addressing that problem? Uh, actually, this this is almost embarrassing to admit, but there's a a wealth of pretty decent background material on Wikipedia for these topics. Um, and it, it, I think it's largely because there's a lot of nerds who care about this, these topics and go and like meticulously edit these things. Um, but you know, if you wanted to find out what serializability meant in the sense of you know, a database or, or a sequence of events in a distributed system, um, Wikipedia might be a good place to start. It's probably not going to give you the whole answer um, uh, a lot of times. But you know, there, there's a, a, a lot of good a good material there. 
Yeah, there's a lot of good uh, database literature out there. Like database systems have been around for a while and are are well studied. Uh, people have been implementing and they've been usable for a long time. So there's a lot of good solid books on databases and there's quite a bit of overlap between databases and distributed systems, especially what I think you guys are likely to be interested in. Um, there's a book I've been reading, uh, Programming Distributed Computing Systems, that just came out on MIT Press uh, that I would recommend if you're into kind of the more theoretical side of things. Um, it's not going to necessarily give you, you know, how to go write a big table clone or something like that, but it'll, you know, help you figure out more questions that you want to start asking and stuff. Um, but I'm afraid I don't think there's like a great just like intro to practical web developer distributed systems book or a single resource right now. I think it'd be cool if there was. Um, but yeah, I mean we're kind of at this, the stage right now that you have to read papers eventually, but you know, go find blog posts and follow links on Wikipedia and you know, find a smart friend. There's a lot of oral history. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I ask Peter Bayless every time I need to know something, and he, he links me to like end papers. The papers usually answer the question. But finding the papers, there's so many published and so many journals that it's hard for somebody who's really slow at reading academics like me to, to keep up with that. Yeah. I'm not afraid to to just like ask someone I don't know on Twitter who seems smart something. And like, yeah, I don't have to, you know, I can take their response with a grain of salt or whatever, but you'd be surprised like how nice people are if you just shoot them an email or something, even if you don't know them. And I, I wanted to throw out one more resource. Uh, Kyle mentioned earlier um, the, uh, some research by Leslie Lamport. Um, he has a wonderful page where he basically has annotated all of the stuff he's written since. I don't know, like 1956 or something, um, uh, about concurrent programming and distributed systems and and all those sorts of problems because they're actually often related. Um, and he he writes a you can actually almost read it as a, a single text and see the evolution of his ideas over time um, and how they they uh, came you know influence the the the, the seminal. Um, Time clocks and ordering events, I think it's called, um, and then you know, and then Paxos, the the part-time parliament, um, all of those things like come out of his previous research, and and I think that's a good primer too. Yeah. Leslie Lamport is the author. Um, if you find his homepage, he has a lot of the original articles linked, but also just annotations about earlier ones that are no longer extant. When we post uh, the audio for this, I'll, I'll type up all the show notes so I have all the links, so you can just yeah. go for that. There's also a, a thing that just came out the other day um, from, I think, Mixu. Uh, he wrote this primer on distributed systems. And that I've only gotten halfway through it, but it seems to be really high caliber. Oh. Is oh. that him back there? I'm waiting, yeah. Wonderful. Hi. 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 <laughs> You're awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll yeah. put a link up on the website to it um, so it's available so everybody can find it. So um, there was a question over here. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there, the, there's actually a whole the first podcast. Yeah. So there's yeah, there's two really good resources. Uh, the first episode of this podcast specifically focused on consensus, uh, and there's a huge discussion with Diego, one of the, the co-author of Raft, uh, and a couple of Basho people, and Andrew Stone, who's an employee at Basho, who's writing a Raft implementation in Erlang. Uh, so we discussed that. Uh, in addition to that, Tom Santero and Andrew Stone also did a presentation at the New York City Erlang meetup. Um, there's a video and a full slide deck that talks about um, what the consensus protocol is, how it's and how he's going about implementing it and testing it in Erlang. So uh, we'll provide links to those. But that's a really good resource. Uh, that's a better resource than we could definitely do right now. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, any anybody else? Any other questions? Yes. What's your thinking of the new so I, I guess you're you're talking about core OS and and that that sort of configuration first virtualization type of Infrastructure? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's cool. <laughs> um, I use SmartOS in on on a, a a little like Dell mini tower I have under my my desk for like testing those sorts of like networking scenarios between virtual machines. Um, or, or like creating an isolated environment that I can throw away later, um, but I, I think you get that same advantage from you know a, a public cloud or, or you know some some larger private cloud infrastructure. I, I don't think that it's anything special or new, but it's fun. But know. but distributed operating system? Did you mean like MPI? Any other? Or are you talking like just just the new stuff, etcd and whatnot? Okay. Because we've, we've had libraries and, and, and frameworks for doing that. Uh, uh, It's worrying, right? Because uh, I mean, it's really good to have to have like normalized, consistent configuration management. That's really important, especially for service discovery. Uh, but at the same time, you have to beware of relying on that consensus algorithm in a way which is not coupled to the operations of your system. So if you rely on the consensus algorithm to tell you what node is the primary. Your, your messages stop to travel over networks, so you can't guarantee the order in which they arrive at the old node versus the new node. Maybe you talk to the wrong primary for a while. Maybe there's two primaries simultaneously or, or logically simultaneously. So you still have to reason about causal uh, relationships between your operations, and, and no consensus mechanism like Zookeeper makes it really hard to actually write a distributed system. Like if you if you use Zookeeper to try and get like strong consensus to do meters, uh, it is like so astonishingly complicated. I don't even think I've gotten it right. I've been working on this for like four weeks. Uh, you, 
you have to couple everything in the system into that into that consistent store. So it's not it can't just be like oh the configuration file is consistent and therefore it's safe. It's got to be every operation is like linking into that that read and making sure that that is isolated and, and consistent with respect to the total history of the consensus system. Right. I think that there's there's sort of a a misconception that you can you can divorce the 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 mechanism like you're saying the mechanism through which you're achieving an agreement from the thing you're achieving an agreement on um, and there's a lot of I, I would beware of snake oil salesmen who say that you can just take any old thing and like slap you know distribute consensus algorithm on top of it and make it work um, maybe you can make it work but the failure modes are going to be really strange and um, and and even then like making sure that 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 thing that that um, does the coordination or, or you know or does propagation of state is doing what's appropriate for the type of thing that you're trying to achieve. I mean, I'll take consistent uh, coordination over inconsistent coordination any day, <laughs> right? Like, of course, we want you know etcd and and nice reliable versioning and everything, but uh, consider a case where you've got a say a Java program and it's using etcd for some configuration to figure out what node it should talk to, uh, you know, to, to send messages. And uh, the JVM has a big heap because this is a you know massive application, and it goes into GC, and it GCs for like three and a half minutes. So you do a configuration change sometime in that three and a half minutes. It propagates to etcd, but the JVM doesn't know. So three and a half minutes later, this node wakes up with a picture from the past, and its its picture of the world you know is so far out of date that it proceeds to like merrily send some messages along to other parts of the network thinking that it's still you know 1999 uh, that is something that really happens <laughs> to yeah. systems you know maybe your entire VM pauses uh, maybe you uh, have a network which you know pauses your messages back and forth so, so the consensus really has to be linked all the way through the, through the path uh, we have about five minutes left so maybe we'll we'll get a couple more questions if we can do it Consistency is definitely one. I mean, it's overloaded with. Can you just repeat the question? So yeah. The question was about. Uh, common sources of confusion, things where people tend to kind of trip up two concepts and that may be uh, a universal thing or something that you know we might be able to give some advice on. Um, the term consistency means different things in distributed systems and in databases. Um, that's a pretty simple but very pervasive one. Um, there's a bunch of other little wording things like that. Isolation has you know uh, maybe 12 distinct flavors or strengths. Um, yeah. Linearizability and serializability are not the same. And I do my absolute best when I'm talking about a system to like go and look up what they claim and, and make sure I'm using the right word. I'm still probably getting it wrong half the time. It's it's really hard to think about. And, and a lot of terms have have uh, common sense meanings that aren't what they mean in, in terms of distributed systems. Um, I'm trying to come up with an example, but uh, Consensus. Well, consensus, like agreeing on something, that seems like something really, you know, you you, you like have a vote and everybody decides, yeah, okay, we'll vote for this thing. But um, but in a distributed system, it, it's it's about 
uh, a progression of, of, of states where like coming to the decision is very difficult and error like you have to handle errors at every stage and and, and so the consensus has a lot of loaded meaning in it yeah how many steps are there to the react uh, ring consensus algorithm um, this is this is <laughs> this is uh, gossip but I heard something like 20 yeah so um, if you're ever wondering why you add a node to your React cluster and it takes a long time for it to settle, it's because there's 20 steps. So another thing I'll add, and this is kind of Kyle and Sean's thing that they harp on, but um, <laughs> if you run a distributed system, you might not even know it just because you have, if you have a single server with a bunch of clients, that is also a distributed system. Yes. You just have a single server, but you have people accessing your, that server from the web on their browsers. That is a distributed system, and all of the fun complexities that are present with distributed systems apply to you. Mm -hmm. And that's something people often overlook, I think. Got about a minute for another question. I think we're supposed to wrap up 10 minutes early so people have time to switch rooms. So anybody, final question? Yes? So distributed systems seem really far. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. We are in the trough of disillusionment, aren't we? You know, um. I think a little bit of the answer to that is learning that the answer is not learning how to do everything correct. It's learning how to handle failure and faults in a system. Like, no one who runs a large distributed system, it just runs perfectly. They've learned how to handle it when all the little expected failures happen. It's not some perfect system that they, like, hit compile and now it just works. Like. They plan for failure, and that's kind of just the reality, because things are going to go wrong that you've never thought about before. And that can be a little disillusioning that you're not going to have this program that's just perfect, but it's kind of fun, too, because the challenge never stops. And <laughs> at the same time, like you get to provide something that's useful to people yeah. while you know having some pride that is actually really hard to do. At the same time, we're seeing a lot of software, existing software projects that are adding distributed components or uh, new distributed systems from scratch. I think overall, the the culture will take some time to catch up to the academic knowledge. Like we knew these problems existed for a long time, but they'll only become generally diffused and common knowledge once enough people try and implement them and talk about it. So the more discussion we have, the more systems we can build. I think the better the state of the art will be, and we'll start to get things like reliable consensus, reliable node changes, reliable rings. You know, maybe, maybe someday those things will be will be working correctly. We'd move on to harder problems. OK, I think that's all the time we have. So a big round of applause to these three great guys who came up here and threw out some knowledge. Uh, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the conference.